I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. In this episode, Lake and Maya interview Colin about gender-affirming care. They discuss Colin's experience with gender-affirming care, HRT, finances related to gender-affirming care, and any advice that Colin has for someone who may be struggling to find gender-affirming care. Enjoy! So could you introduce yourself, your name, pronouns, and what you do in life? Um, My name is Colin Steele. Uh, My pronouns are he, him. I am a student currently at Indiana University Bloomington. Um, I would like to do um, linguistic uh, linguistics work in the future, though. So, we all have different definitions, I think. But I was wondering if you could um, talk about what gender affirming care means to you. Um, for me, gender affirming care is. Um, Usually when I think about it, I think of like medical transitioning kind of things such as HRT um, and gender affirming surgeries such as like top surgery. Um, However, I do also like recognize that there is a mental health component that I don't um, and like relating to gender dysphoria um, and stuff like that, especially since um, with a lot of like the medical processes, uh, there's a lot of barriers based on um, like who you're seeing with therapy uh, and stuff like that. But I, I recognize that it's part of it, although I don't necessarily, it's not necessarily a very salient part um, a lot of times. So when seeking gender affirming care, um, could you discuss the po- possible obstacles with dealing with like insurance and stuff? Oh, yeah. Um, So to get a lot of things covered by insurance, you have to jump through a lot of hoops with um, like mental health professionals. Um, So like when I was seeking HRT, um, I had to have a letter from um, my therapist signing me off um, for insurance to even consider covering it. Um, And then like for a while, there was a big question of whether they even would cover it or not, um, because um, for my insurance, uh, the policy is a little bit weird sometimes. And like sometimes they say that um, gender affirming um, healthcare is not, um, what's the word, like not mandatory, not medically necessary. Uh, And so in those cases, my insurance, like if I made a misstep, my insurance would uh, like throw me out um, for like considering that kind of healthcare is being covered. Um, sometimes they're also like finicky of like what parts they'll cover of um, like trans healthcare. Like um, I got uh, top surgery um and there was a lot of like finicky stuff about what parts of it they would cover and what parts that they wouldn't is there a justification that they 
kind of provide as far as why, why there all of a sudden is a line in certain aspects um, of care? You know, like when they said, we're not going to cover this aspect, did they say, this is why? Well, with like surgery and stuff, they were like, oh, well, this is more of like an aesthetic thing rather than like um, something that's really medically necessary. Gotcha. That seems crazy to me <laughs> looking at it. Um, you know, and this is something when we talked to C, C had said some kind of similar things about, about insurance and how sometimes that can be a barrier. Um, I guess what I'm curious about is like when you get that letter back or however insurance corresponds with you that says like, Hey, we're not going to cover either this whole thing or this portion. Like what happens at that point? Uh, I mean, at that point, um, at least for me, like, you know, it's just going into like freak out mode if I'm going to like pay for stuff. Um, that being said with insurance, they originally said like, they originally sent me a letter saying that they covered it. Like it was approved um but later on they were like even though it was a like they they approved the sol- the surgery wholesale but they didn't like bit by bit approve so like even though it was approved it wasn't actually covered by my plan um which like was incredibly frustrating um because like you know originally um you know I was working under the assumption that insurance like was going to um support uh, like the surgery as a whole and then they came back later being like actually no you do have to pay like this portion here because um, like we don't think it's necessary even though like there it was technically approved that's that's really frustrating um, I mean especially to kind of have that idea in the back of your mind that this we already got the green light you know everything seems seemed good um, mm-hmm. so that's really frustrating I, I guess can you talk, I, I know you kind of said that you go into this panic mode of like, how in the world am I going to afford this? But can you walk us through a little bit more, like what was going on in your head when you got that, that letter back or like, what were your next steps in figuring out, is this still possible? Um, well, it, it was more like I got the letter that said everything was approved. And then I got the bill um where things weren't approved uh where things weren't covered um and at that moment I don't know I guess I was just kind of shocked um and like the first thing that went through my mind is like oh something's wrong here you know like something was just like submitted wrong or something like that um but then when I like called insurance they were him hawing around for a while um before they were finally like I mean you could file an appeal, but like at the end of the day, uh, even like getting the, our approval doesn't really necessarily mean um, it's covered. Um, so like, it was mostly just shock. Um, and then it like grew into like a lot of like frustration and anger about it. Um, I know like I'm still, like there's still a part of that bill um, that I haven't gotten back um, that like, could be like like tens of thousands of dollars um that like has been really like paralyzing um with like other parts of my life because you know I don't want to like spend a lot of money if um you know at any point I could be getting a huge bill um when I like need to save that money for um 
like paying it. But at the same time, I don't know if I'm going to have to pay that whole thing um, because like the hospital hasn't like ho the hospital and insurance haven't like finished deciding what's up with that. Um, and so like nothing's been finalized. Um, but it is like when I think about it, I get, I get super frustrated about it. I've seen on my social media many a times individuals who it sounds like are in very similar situations to you who unfortunately have to revert to GoFundMe or other forms of like crowdfunding just to literally be able to afford these surgeries, which GoFundMe is not healthcare or it shouldn't yeah. be. Um, I don't know if you've seen anybody else, you know, seen anyone in your life who's had to kind of do that or maybe you've even kind of considered like, you know, do I have to sort out those other sort of funding sources? Yeah, I've actually seen a couple people do that. Um, there were like, back in my high school, there were some people in the grade above me um, that I've like stayed connected to um, who have, you know, been in various points in their transition. Um, one of them wasn't for like surgery, um, it was just for like HRT. Another one was specifically for their top surgery. Um, and uh, like, I know that he got some support, but it's definitely like nowhere near what he needed. Um, and I know with like my brother, um, we were talking about it and um, he like kind of half jokingly said he'd set up a GoFundMe for me. Um, and he even like reached out to his friends um, being like, hey, you wanna, you wanna Venmo my brother five bucks um, for his medical debt. Um, so like, there's a lot of crowdfunding things that happen, um, but for the most part, like from what I've seen, a lot of them don't get um, great uh, response. Like they're not like nearly as supportive as, um, you know, one would hope they would be. Well, and, and even that $5 from the friend, your brother's got to have a lot of friends to cover potentially. Yeah. You said it could be tens of thousands of dollars. Did anyone send you the $5? Uh, no. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, my brother says he will at some point, but I mean, you know, family, it's kind of um, different than like crowdfunding um, stuff. Um, like for me, I know that if uh, at the end of the, depending on what my financial situation is going to look like, um, I'll probably end up like begging family members first um, to help me make up the difference um, before like I take on medical debt um, just because like I know it's really predatory. So what seems really interesting to me about this situation is that you kind of got this letter saying it's all covered you go and get the surgery done and then you get the bill. And at that point, it's not like you can go back and say, Oh wait, I can't, I'm not going to do that. I can't afford this. So yeah. that seems like kind of the absurdity of this situation to me is you didn't even have the ability to sit down and look at your budget and look at the dollar and cents and say, can I afford this? And now you're stuck with the, you can't not pay them, you know, that, yeah. um, so that, that seems like a really tricky situation. And, um, I, I just really wanted to kind of bring awareness to that because I think it would be one thing if you went into it with the mindset of, I'm going to have a $30,000 bill. It's a whole different thing entirely when, when 
you can't go back on on a surgery. Yeah, that was like a really big problem. Um, there was also an issue with like sometimes like, you know, just in general, like uh, medical facilities aren't always like the most transparent. Um, and so like at a maximum, um, you know, I thought I was looking at a like um, a specific amount. Um, and it turns out that the maximum, like once you factored in like the facilities um, and stuff like that, which like was not um, like well, um, not well discussed with me. Uh, it was the the possible maximum was much much higher, um, like tens of thousands higher. Um, and you know during this time, um, because of like a lot of family, um, like a lot of family health issues, we had actually like reached. Um, we have a really high deductible for insurance, but we had reached it that year. Um, and you know, it's like. I guess it was hard to grapple with the fact that, you know, walking in with that assumption, like in theory, um, like surgery, um, in the best case scenario, surgery was gonna be free. Um, but then it turned out that there was like a lot of like hubble blue in the middle. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go back um, and change my decision, but, um, I do think I would have done some things differently if I had um, known this before going in. I can imagine that can be like just another um, hardship on top of the emotional and societal um, hardships of being trans. But like, you know, I've, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time ruminating in frustration about like how, like um, if I weren't trans, um, a lot of these expenses um, that like I face um, for like, you know, um, like dealing with surgeries and um, like going through the process of HRT, which um, I will, probably be on for the rest of my life. It's just like something extra that I have to worry about, some other like financial burden um, that people who aren't trans like don't have to deal with. Um, and it's like really frustrating uh, sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. Um, do you have any tips for anyone who's struggling to find gender affirming care? Um, or just getting through the frustration of um, that financial burden? Um, I have to say, I've like spent a lot of time stressing over finding gender affirming care. It's really hard for me to find medical professionals um, because like it's hard to know who um, is you know going to be trans competent um, and who is going to like respect you not only for the fact that you're trans but also like for other like um, you know parts of your identity and whatnot um, because you know it's all intertwined um, and so I spend a lot of time stressing about finding um, healthcare professionals in general um, 
rather than finding them myself. If you're in the position where um, you know somebody who is like in the region who's also um, going through the same process as you, you know, like also transitioning um, referrals, um, I find are the best bet. Um, I like at this point, I am very hard pressed um, to see like any medical professional without somebody who's trans competent or another trans person saying like, yeah, they're fine. Um, like they won't like treat you poorly. Um, that being said, um, I know some cities will have, or like regions will have um, like trans or like LGBT groups um, who will keep like lists of providers. While those lists may not necessarily um, cover like everything that you need um, or they might not be completely up to date, um, they can be a good place to start to find um, providers. And those can also be good places um, just to like meet people who are more likely to be able to refer you. Um, so it's good to seek out like those kind of groups if um, you happen to like have those resources available to you. Um, and then I guess like dealing with things like, um, like dealing with the like extra burdens that come with those kind of things. Um, I just like try and surround myself um, with like a good community of people. Um, like just like keep my support network strong um, so that if um, like even if like things are really frustrating, I know that I have like people to fall back on who may not necessarily um, be able to financially support me, but um, can support me in other facets. Um, and also like may have, you know, other ideas about what to do about a financial situation. Um, like I also know that like some groups, um, like some queer groups or like trans groups will offer like grants um, for um, people's transitioning costs. Um, and so like, um, just having like extra people to help you like look for those kinds of things can be really helpful. Well, I have two last questions and these are, are really kind of shifting towards um, what medical institutions can do in general. So when we talk about gender affirming care or we talk about a medical establishment um, being trans competent or, or equitable or inclusive or any of these different terms, when you're looking at a healthcare provider, what are those tangible things that healthcare providers can do to contribute to a comfortable, welcoming environment? Um, I guess for one, um, being more deliberate about the language that they use. Um, like, um, this is outside of like gender, like affirming healthcare, um, but it's still like very closely related to like gender related stuff. Like my former gynecologist, um, which like is like, like that like medical aspect is like a really uncomfortable topic for a lot of trans folks. Um, and just like an uncomfortable space to be in general. Um, but like my formal, like gynecologist, um, even though she had like worked with trans patients in the past, um, 
sometimes like the wording that uh, she could use um, would be like really um, uncomfortable. Um, and while it isn't necessarily, um, you know, medical terms and whatever, like in theory, like people don't necessarily have to change those kind of things. But like now the person that I see um, who also is my like HRT provider um, is like, like she makes the choice um, to be better about that kind of thing, to like be aware of how her patients feel um, with like the specific terminology that she uses um, and like makes an effort to still be specific without um, like making her patients uncomfortable. Um, so like being aware of that kind of thing um, is really important, I think. Um, and like even like even my old HRT provider, um, he like, you know, he was a good guy and he was affirming and stuff, but every once in a while he'd say things that would like um, just like make me uncomfortable um, about like uh, like trans folks. I, I believe at one point like um, he used like the T-slur and I was like, oh, oh, oh no. Um, but like that for one, um, I feel is a really important thing. Um, but like, you know, education about like trans stuff in general, um, like not, um, like if they're not in like gender, uh, like um, like gender-based healthcare, um, just like learning about like trans stuff so that your trans patients don't have to um, like explain things to you, um, which like may be uncomfortable. Um, and can I, can and you real quickly, I was just going to say, would you mind just explaining, you said kind of non-gender-based healthcare, would you mind um, explaining for listeners kind of what non-gender-based healthcare might be? Um, like non, like, um, I don't know, transitioning healthcare, um, like, um, you know, endocrinologists, general practitioners, um, I had a neurologist, I had like a really awkward conversation with my neurologist um, about like, you know, I've, I've chronic headaches, um, like I've had them for a really long time. And like the, the conversation for a long time really went into like, you know, like HRT um, and how like me being trans um, is like, you know, uh, like a potential like facet for that kind of thing, um, just because like hormones can change that sort of thing. But like the way that my like practitioner was like pushing it was like really uncomfortable because I've had these for a lot longer than I've been on HRT and like that hasn't changed it. Um, but like she just wasn't like understanding that and started asking some like prying questions. Um, so like, you know, non like HRT um, related professionals and um like stuff like that I guess do you ever feel as though you have kind of the burden of educating your medical providers um every once in a while I do um sometimes I don't I try to avoid those kind of situations like I try and I seek professionals um who are trans competent um but like in 
you know, the occasion that I'm working with a provider who isn't. Um, sometimes I, um, sometimes I end up in a situation where I'm left like kind of ex having to explain myself um, or like explain like trans issues or like um, parts of the trans experience or um, whatever, even though I don't necessarily like want to be talking about that um, with my provider, especially like, you know, sometimes in the context that we're having those conversations. Yeah, thank you. So I have one last question um, and I wanna make sure I'm being uh, careful with making sure that you don't need to kind of reveal too much um, about yourself. So if you are not comfortable answering this, just let us know. Um, but in our emails, when we were corresponding, you talked about kind of having a new therapist um, mm -hmm. and about going through what that process looks like. Um, you know, I think about six months ago, I started the process myself of finding a new therapist and that process was incredibly stressful, but I didn't have the added layer of needing to worry about, is this somebody who is gender affirming? And is this somebody who's going to be trans competent? Um, and, and I imagine that adds a fair deal of stress to the whole ordeal. Um, so I'm just wondering if you can talk at all, if you're comfortable with kind of what the process was like to, to find this individual and, and kind of what your experience has been. Yeah, sure. Um, so getting to the person that I saw like recently um, was like a bit of a like process therapy wise um I have like needed to find a new therapist I had needed to find a new therapist um since well I don't know like 2018 I guess um like I was still talking to my old therapist but like he was really specialized um in like children and I had moved so we could only really email and stuff like that um that being said I have like I, you know, I, I say I have, a, I have a mixed bag of issues, um, like, that I want to address, and so, like, one thing that was really difficult for me was, um, like, finding somebody who I felt like I could talk to um, about everything that I was dealing with, um, and then also somebody on top of that who was trans competent, um, and, you know, I'd use stuff like um, psychology today, um, like, their, like, therapist search and stuff like that, um, but it's like really hard when you're just looking at like, um, you know, uh, um, like a website, um, to tell what the person's going to be like. And it, it was also a question for me of like, um, you know, I like want somebody who's trans competent, but I also don't want like somebody who, um, will be affirming of that kind of thing. Um, but I was also like concerned of uh, finding somebody who would boil down my other problems as just like being related to like my gender and stuff. And um, a lot of it isn't. Um, and so like that made it really stressful to find someone. Um, when I started seeing my new HRT provider, um, we talked about these kind of things and I talked about um, like the things that I wanted to work through in therapy. Um, and um, she just um, whipped out a list of four people um, in town that I could call um, to try and make an appointment uh, who could help me with all the things that I wanted to work on um, while also like um, being trans competent. Um, I uh, had been seeing two of them for a while. 
Um, I am going to like stop seeing one of them. Um, but this person most recently uh, was a psychiatrist that I was recommended, uh, that I was referred to. Um, and uh, originally I'd been given a list of like um, transcompetent psychiatrists from my therapist um, for people that I could look into for a referral. Um, and, you know, I got with this one office and um, they, uh, they called me back saying they were going to schedule an appointment after they like processed my referral and stuff like that. Um, and um, they said that like they were scheduling me with somebody else. Um, and that was like a really stress, that was a really stressful interim period for me um, because like originally I'd gone in thinking that like, you know, this was somebody I knew um, was like going to be um, like transcompetent. So I wouldn't have to like worry about um, like being like pestered about that kind of thing um, while trying to um, seek like a new form of treatment. Um, and it was like, it was, um, it was really stressful before my appointment, wondering whether this person was going to be, um, you know, affirming or not, um, and whether like, you know, there were going to be some uncomfortable conversations because like dealing with somebody who like doesn't understand trans issues, um, and like doesn't get trans people like period, um, especially in like mental health, especially can be like really, really hard to navigate. Um, just because like you run the risk of being boiled down to like all your problems or just because you're trans. Um, and, um, what, you know, when I actually met her, um, you know, she was, um, she was nice, you know, she, um, like asked my pronouns and like made sure that, um, like my legal name is my preferred name and, uh, stuff like that. Um, and there wasn't really like a lot of, um, like there wasn't really a lot of uncomfortable conversation and, um, about like being trans and it felt like um, it was a, it was still gonna be a safe space, um, which was really, really nice. Um, but I was also like kind of surprised about it um, just because like, that's definitely not always gonna be the case. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. All right. Well, we really appreciate it. This has been, I have personally learned a lot during this last half an hour and really, really enjoyed our conversation. Um, so thank you. Thank you for, for being willing to share um, your story and being willing to, to kind of have this conversation with us today. Yeah, it was nice talking to you guys. Happy to, happy to come out. Well, thank you.